I designated a 501c3 charity. I have a ongoing, you know, dialogue with them about, you know, the the money they're going to they're going to get when I eventually die. Um and it's it's fulfilling. It's it's um it's a it's a way to um you know, to see something grow and 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 feel like I've accomplished something. But in terms of, you know, you know, the question, okay, what's your net net worth target? It doesn't need to be any more than what it is right now. Um I think the I mean, I, I do still think I have this innate, like, some conscious drive to always be saving and be frugal. And I that's something that I need to work on, you know, always. I don't need to always pinch pennies, especially if I'm giving away my, my if I have leftover money at the, month, I'm, at the end of the month I'm giving away. I don't need to continuously be pinched money or comparing prices, shopping at dollar stores. There's something in me that is, has a sick, like, obsession with, with always you know, saving and trying to get the back at the absolute best price. The next, the milestone that also becomes anticlimactic. So life is more than, more than a number. Definitely. And it shouldn't become, it's not the end all be all. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocations. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires and Veil podcast. This is episode number 318. Stace, how are you doing? Doing great over here. Awesome. Well, quick update. We told everybody we're having twins and appreciate the nice uh, messages. Also thought I'd throw out there that, uh, you know, former co-host Clark and his wife, I uh, just had their first little baby boy a few weeks ago. Everybody's healthy and home. So excited for him. It was a great time uh, catching up with him the last couple of weeks on becoming a father. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. I thought I'd start reading some uh, reviews from the last couple of weeks. These first couple come from Spotify, actually. This was uh, a manual. This is the best podcast ever. Keep bringing the information. Blaine said, one of the best episodes yet. Thank you. And Amy said, another excellent episode. So much common sense wisdom from this guest. A must listen for all of your younger listeners. So much easier to make it than to keep it. Hashtag truth. Many ways to win. Love the unique paths to financial success. Recent episode with Brian was best of the year. I could have listened to his story for another hour. And last one, love just love your podcast. Congratulations on you and your wife expecting twins. How exciting. I listened to the podcast from the beginning and please keep up the great work. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Appreciate all those reviews. If you haven't left one yet, go ahead and do so either iTunes or Spotify. Now I'll leave a, a rating and review for us. Appreciate it. It helps us continue to grow the show and get new millionaire interviewees. Uh, we've had a pretty good response on those uh, answering the call here that have a net worth over $5 million. So you know what that means? I get a couple emails of those wanting more than 10 and some decamillionaires. So throw that call out there. If you're a decamillionaire and interested to be on the show, send us an email, or even if you're not, but especially if you're a decamillionaire, uh, send us an email, millionairesunveil.gmail.com. We'll start to uh, put the schedule here together for uh, 2024. So some exciting times ahead. On today's episode, we have Casey. 
and she has a net worth uh, around $5 million. She started in VC and then went uh, into the military. So I had a career in the military for a few years and then done all sorts of jobs since then. About a third of her wealth is in traditional retirement accounts. About a third is in a uh, pension that she gets from the military. And then about a third of it is in a trust that she uses to fund some of the things uh, that she is uh, wants to donate to, but then also how she structures that around uh, some of her uh, personal giving and, and some other things. So get into a great conversation with her uh, specifically about trust and probably in more depth than we ever have uh, in this particular episode around trust and, and how she's utilized that specifically uh, a charitable trust for her to carry out some of the things. She's single, no kids, uh, has a cat. And so this may resonate with some of our uh, you know listeners who are single and never been married. So uh, yeah, without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Casey. Casey, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Uh, sure. Well, um, I've had lots of different careers in my life. Um, so I've worked primarily in finance. I started out after college in finance and, uh, then I joined the military I was there for six years and have, have had some it jobs as well over the past 20 or so years. Uh, right now I'm at about, uh, have about 1.8 million in retirement accounts, uh, split about two thirds traditional and one third Roth. I also have been for the past 10 years receiving a military pension. And if one were to value that as an asset, it would be about uh, $1.6 million with certain assumptions about how long I'll live and the discount rate and the, the cost of living adjustment and all that. Also, about two years ago, I decided to get rid of all my taxable assets. And I established a charitable trust where I get to continue to uh, manage those assets day to day. Um, through my options trading, but it's technically no longer mine. Um, and it's it's uh, um, fulfilling because I can see that money grow and know it's going to a good cause. And I actually get a annual income distribution from that trust. So it's you know, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a win win. And um, I haven't been working full time for the two years. I've been focusing on my uh, trading and other other pursuits, building building a home right now. I'm, I'm thinking about getting into maybe finding something that I really enjoy. But um, for now, I'm, I'm just um, loving be having having some freedom. So Wow. So total net worth, if we include what's in the trust, because I, I know that's it's about 1.5 right now. Yeah. So but, still yeah. still an asset. I mean, what's the total net worth now? If you include about that, I have to review for you to include that. Yeah. Wow. So let's let's back up here. The one point eight that's in your retirement accounts, what is that invested in and, and kind of get into the breakup? How did that come about? Well, I mean, from my early twenties, like my first job, I've always maxed out my retirement accounts. It's kind of just been I haven't even had a second thought to it. It's always been kind of just automatic for me. Um, a good story is in two thousand three, my first job out of college, I was an analyst at a VC firm in Seattle and dramatically underpaid, and I, we were we were rolled into into another VC firm for so for for half of the year, you know, July through December. I had this was part of this four hundred one k plan where um, the employer matched dollar for dollar up to the annual limit, which was twelve thousand at the time. And my for six months of salary again, you know, underpaid twenty two year old was like you know. 18 or 20,000 or something. It was really super low. But I knew that if I put in 12,000 to this, to the 401k, 
I would get all, I would get an extra 12. So I was like, oh, sure, I'll do it. I made it happen because, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, for the, the, the venture partners who are making a quarter million, that was small change to them. For me, it was a lot of money. So I've always maxed out my retirement plans. When I was in high school, I remember um, it was it was in the 90s and I was in Boston. So Fidelity was big. So I remember dropping off a check to Fidelity for, you know, Spartan Magellan or whatever in high school, because that was just something that, that I did. I don't know where necessarily it, it came from, but so that's kind of how my my traditional and Roth I've always, you know, did the historically um, 401ks were, were traditional. And then I, I could supplement that with the Roth contributory um, Roth IRA, always max it out on January 2nd. It was just always, you know, the check was in there. And over, over time, they started to do Roth 401ks. And so, so you read up on the benefits of doing, you know, cause you don't have the RMDs and you get the, you know, you're not taxed on it when you take it out. And that seems like a good idea to me. Now with this new strategy of saying, I don't care, I don't need this money for myself, let's give it away. I would have rethink I wouldn't have done the Roth, I would have kept on doing the traditional contribution, because you got the upfront deduction. And if the RMDs, you if you direct them to a charity, um, you don't pay any tax. So you know, I would I would have rather had the, the upfront tax deduction and done you know 100 traditional and you know and not not Roth if I had known that I'm just gonna give it all away all away anyways, um, but you know so that's that's how it so and historically you know when I was employed and not spending time on options trading, I was um, just doing you know first it was mutual funds and then those ETFs I worked at a wealth management firm in my mid twenties where we I I was doing the trading you know basic asset allocation, you know, the, you know, most of returns come from long-term returns come from asset allocation and fees. So, you know, we put our clients in mutual funds and ETFs and some dabbling of a, you know, core stock portfolio, but that was kind of, you know, Morningstar. I mean, that was kind of how I learned, learned investing in my mid twenties. So that's what I did when I was working full time and not having time to manage, actively manage my investments. Um, And that's how it grew over time, you know, you know, just, You've know, got the compounding and putting in lots of money at an early age, of course. I mean, we've all seen the charts of you know, when you start when you're 20 versus when you start when you're 40. You know, it, it makes a difference over the decades. So, but in the last two years, since I haven't been working and I've been doing options trading, my retirement accounts have been do, basically doing options on S&P 500 futures. It's, it's, it is pretty low maintenance. I, I might pick open a position at a... 45 day expiration. And then over time, I'll, I'll manage it. And as it gets to seven to 14 days to expiration, I'll, I'll roll it into the next month or so. So it's, it's very low maintenance. Futures options are great in terms of for retirement accounts, because they're not marginable. They you get more bang for the buck, basically, in futures options, the buying power that each trade has you in terms of you know, your the maximum profit relative to the buying power that it takes up. Is is better for futures options, and also there's this. Well, for I mean, on taxable accounts, you get a better tax treatment for futures options or any futures contracts versus equity options or equity positions. So retirement accounts, S and P five hundred futures options, and then my, the trust. I do a little more in, interesting things um, because they are that account is marginable. I do um, equity options also um, in um, in the charitable trust. So. 
Interesting. So I want to only go back to a couple of things. So the the retirement accounts, for the most part, have been built through you know traditional compounding and everything else. And I know you will get into kind of the option strategies that that you've kind of started to take route with uh, as as time has gone on. I want to back up though. Military pension. You put a value of that at one point six, and it's something we've had a couple conversations on the show. How do you think about that pension? And, you know, for you personally, is that pension indefinite for, for your whole life? Or is there an endpoint to it? Or does it matter where you live or anything like that? It's definitely definite for life. So you might heard some veterans talk about VA disability, where they get a check from the VA. It's based on their disability percentage. And unless you're total and permanent, the VA could do evaluation and they th- could reduce it or take it away. So you wouldn't include that as an asset at all. However, people who traditionally people who put 20 years of time, 20 or more years in the serving in the military, they get a a pension. They get a 10 that produces a 1099 R at the end of the year. And uh, that is based on their um, their last 36 months of pay uh, that they've served. So, again, traditionally is 20 years. And that that check is from the DOD, not from the VA. And there is some there is a condition where if you have a, a medical retirement, you can get a full pension. So the check from the DOD um, that's indefinite for life. You know, if I can get something where the DOD said yes, this is this is good for the service member's entire life. And you know, arguably, it's more of a sure thing than Social Security because, as we all know, Social Security might be reduced sometime in the future, but. No one's going to mess with military retirement. That's that would be a political the political suicide. Um, For sure. So, um, so I only had six years of active duty service, but I still get the military pension. It's based on my my last thirty six months of pay is going to be less than if I had served twenty years. Um, yeah. But I was I was an officer, so I don't think it's fair. But officers get to pay more a lot a lot more than enlisted folks. So, um, so it's a, right now the 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 month my monthly check is thirty seven hundred dollars a month that I get. Part of that is tax free. There is a you know a carve out part of that that is related to my VA disability. But so thirteen hundred is VA disability tax free. Twenty four hundred is from the DOD. I get a ten ninety nine R, and that's that's fully taxable. So yeah, I it's I think it's more useful to see it from an income perspective than an asset perspective. Yeah. But if I were to plug in my numbers to some website that calculates pension assets, okay, what's your discount rate? What's your cost yep. of living adjustment? How old are you going to, how long are you going to live? And then they would spit out the number and then say one point six million. That was what I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate you getting into that and, and, and obviously appreciate uh, your service in the military. Did you do that after you were working in wealth management or was it in concurrence with or before? So I worked in venture capital and wealth management for five years after I graduated college. And then I served my time in the military. It was active duty for six years after my my finance time so why did you um, decide to make that switch going from venture capital and the investment (laughs) markets to the military that's kind of a a different transition i feel like it's usually the other way around well i mean yes there are a lot of service members who after who then go into investment management financial services after they leave but um i don't know i'm i'm a risk taker by nature i'm i'm kind of a little bit Short, short attention span, always looking, willing to try something out new. If I had started out in the military, I probably would have been a little bit more risk averse in terms of wanting something that's stable. Or, but because I started out in you know the civilian jobs, 
I was willing to, do, you know, do any, you know, knowing that, you know, every, every it's every your employment is is at will. That, you know, if you don't if we don't work hard and 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 uh, you know, but you it also provides some freedom that you could you could try something out, and if it doesn't work out, you can, you know, so. But um, so the military that was my longest job actually was in the military because I had that four year commitment. Uh, but I thought, you know, I, I had never known anyone who was in the military. I wanted thinking that, you know, mission, purpose, those things that it's very different. You know, um, you know, it's of course, it's those are just ideas. And it's very different when you have to act, when you do an actual job. And I don't regret, regret it at all. Um, I'm I, 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 I had great experiences during my military time. But then it was time to move on. So then and the, the medical retirement, you know, that was something that I didn't choose. I didn't initiate. But it, when it, it turns out, I probably wouldn't have chose to stay in for 20 years anyways. So. Uh, yeah, Casey, that's really interesting. Um, I, I think Jace clued in on exactly. I, I thought that was, you know, very unique that you went from, you know, a, a civilian career back to the military career. So that, that's very, very interesting. Um, I want to go back to one comment that you went through really quick, which was. Uh, back in high school, that you invested in Fidelity in high school. So I think that's what you said. How did you even know to do that at, in high school? I, I had no concept of finance in high school, or at least no one taught me. So where, where did that come from? And obviously, you went to college. Did you go to college for finance as well? No, I actually... So I went to... My high school was was act, is actually consistently decade after decade um, ranked the best high school in the in the country. It happens to be a private school, but I resist the association that just because you charge tuition, you're going to get a better better education. I don't think that's the case at all. So it's you know independently private and public combined, it's it's the best high school in the country, decade after decade. So I was accepted early decision to Yale. Um, I, all my most of my classmates went to the I, Ivy Leagues. Um, I didn't finish. You know, I. I didn't start Facebook either, but so, I mean, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I finished because I'm sometimes I'm, I like to, again, short attention spans. So, uh, they don't, you can't major in finance at, at, at the, at the Ivy because it's not, you know, it's, 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 you can only pick a liberal arts degree. So, um, for the most part. So, but no, I, I ended up graduating from a, um, a Buddhist college in Boulder studying contemplative psychology. And of course you can't do anything with that. So then. I worked in, got, got a job as a financial analyst at a venture capital firm. Sure. Right. You know, right after the dot-com crash, it all makes sense. Not really, but <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Actually, philosophy majors are being recruited more and more heavily at VC firms. So you may have just been ahead of your time in that regard. Mm, something I think, I think that might be something AI related. I don't know. Sounds like it. Yeah. How to program the AI. Yeah. <laughs> deep thinking yeah deep thinkers right so so okay but so how did you know to to buy a stock in high school then? you 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 didn't make it your career well i mean i bought a mutual fund but um you know i mean i, I was living in boston i mean i was upper middle class you know professional parents i don't 100 percent know it was a long time ago but like i literally we went to fidelity office and i dropped a che- off a check and so it must have been just like common, like a household thing that came up. I, it must have been. I, I, I wish I knew, but I, I have a memory of that. Um, it's the branding on those buildings downtown, right? 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, so did you, did you start, when did you start trading? Like, did you, like you were a VC, at a VC firm, like when did your time and like, you're obviously a very deep uh, finance expertise. So where did you, where did your finance training begin basically? So I would say on VC, we did like, you know, we reviewed business plans and did like valuation analyses and it doesn't really tr- necessarily map very well to, you know, what are you going to, what are you, what are you going to do in the public public markets? So I, I, I think I would say I'd just put money in a, you know, before ETFs were really big, you'd just put money in a mutual funds. Um, it wasn't until my job in wealth management that I think that I learned about asset allocation where I would like, you know, prepare efficient frontiers and, you know, get risk tolerances for, for our clients and actually manage, prepare the portfolios and then manage those portfolios and you know, screen mutual funds and a little bit of, you were doing like the spiders back then, I think, you know, and individual bonds or bonds funds and, you know, mm-hmm. learning that's, that's, unless you have a lot of money, you probably shouldn't do individual securities because you just don't get enough breadth of the asset allocation is 80% of your returns. So that was something that I kind of learned when, in that wealth management job. Um, and so, you know, I, did, I remember I had a, an account with a discount brokerage called Brownco that were then bought by E-Trade. And I was, I was grandfathered into $5 commissions. which was like, that was like super cheap those days. Like, whoa, $5 commissions. Of course, now they're free. But so, so I think, you know, as long as I every year put the max in, you know, regardless of how long I worked at a company, I would always max it out. Always put in my Roth contribution on January 2nd of every single year, even though you have until April 15th of the next year. Because I knew that if you put it in earlier, you get, assuming that the market goes up, you're going to get you know, more out of that. So that alone, I think, and putting, you know, just a diversified basket of funds, you know, and only like, okay, you got your large, mid, small, domestic, value, growth, blends, you know, you got your foreign, you got your real assets, you got your fixed income. Those are all things in my, in my mid-20s through my wealth management job that, that those were things that were kind of instilled in me. And nothing fancy. It wasn't, I was maybe look at my funds once a quarter, you know, quarterly review, but not day-to-day trading like I'm doing, like I've been doing the last few years. So. Got it. Very, very interesting. So, okay. So my, and my last question is kind of a progression, the charitable trust. Um, can you explain the progression of that and, and where you came up with that and what it, what it, how it is currently formed? Yes, I can do that. Um, so, in 2020, around when COVID started, um, I was working full time at a nice, cushy defense contractor IT job in Washington D.C. You know, nice salary and all that. And because I don't have to work because of my military pension, it makes me just very fickle in terms of, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want the bureaucracy, red tape, or whatever. Let's let's leave. So I did, and because of COVID, where there's, you know, I don't really like working remotely anyways. So I was like, well, I'm just, I'm just there's all, all those up sort of upheaval. So well, why don't I just start to find something new to do? And I've always been very quantitative and kind of data focused. So with options trading being kind of very probabilities and statistics based, I thought it was, it was a great fit for me to go deep dive into options trading. So I did that. What I discovered at the end of 2020, when I was doing my tax return, and I hadn't been making quarterly estimated tax payments that 
oh crap, my AGI is actually a lot higher than it was when I was working. And even though I only had two years of two months of salary in 2020, for the full year, my AGI was was higher than what it was when I was working full time at you know cushy IT contractor job. So I think, well, I I like seeing the, the my assets grow, but I don't like paying taxes. How can I fix that? I've already maxed out all my retirement, all my tax shelter, already maxed them all out. So what and I I don't you know it's not this charitable trust. It's not necessarily out of sheerly altruistic motives. If it were, I would just give the money away. I would never see it again. But if you if you create this charitable trust, charitable remainder trust, an irrevocable charitable remainder trust, once you make contributions to this trust, it's I had to hire an attorney to create this legal entity where I I'm the grantor. I contribute money into this into this trust into this vehicle. Um, once I do so. I can't claw it back. It's no longer part of my estate. And as a result, I'm able to get a big tax deduction for the contributions that I make to this trust. I designate a remainder beneficiary, a 501c3 charity, who will get the assets after I die. I'm also, I am designated as the, the lifetime or the income beneficiary. So every year I receive an annual distribution from this trust minimum 5% of the assets up to 50%. I don't really want the, but that the the distribution that I receive from the trust is ordinary income or it's whatever income I get a K1. It's whatever income, whatever, you know, whether it's long-term or short-term, it's, it's whatever the, the, the source gains um, come from when it's in the trust. Anyway, so I'd rather not have that. Because I guess the whole the whole point was to not pay taxes in the first place. So I contributed back into the trust. But um, so I am the income beneficiary, lifetime income beneficiary, remainder beneficiary. They get the money after I die. It's no longer mine. I can't technically include it in my assets, but I I manage it every single day. I I trade every single day in the in the trust side by side with my IRA accounts, and it's probably be about one point five million right now. And so with a Five percent distribution—that's a seventy-five thousand digital income I get every year, and as it grows, that, that that number will increase. Currently, I'm plowing that right back into the trust after I receive. But you know, it could be if I, you know, could be spending money in the future. Right now, I'm building a building a log cabin, so you know, I can. That's a couple of years of distributions that I could you know spend it on. So, uh, what else? And so, in when I establish it in 2021. Uh, because of so the CARES Act, which was effective in 2020 and 2021, normally the um, the maximum deduction you get can get for a cash contribution to a 501c3 charity is 60% of your AGI. But in 2020 and 2021, because of the CARES Act, that was increased to 100% of your AGI. So I contribute a million dollars in 2021 to this trust. I don't get a million dollar tax deduction. There's there's a, a net present value calculation that determines how what for what what contribution you make what your actual deduction is. So I got a two hundred thousand dollar tax deduction for the one million dollar initial contribution, which is, which was good because I had all this other. I I only established a trust halfway into the year, so I still had six months of of tax inefficient gains for my for my um taxable account trading. So I don't so and so so yes and um. 
I designated a 501c3 charity. I have a ongoing, you know, dialogue with them about, you know, the the money they're going to they're going to get when I eventually die. Um and it's it's fulfilling. It's it's um it's a it's a way to um you know, to see something grow and and, and feel like I've accomplished something. But in terms of, you know, you know, the question, okay, what's your net net worth target? It doesn't need to be any more than what it is right now. I think the people take for underestimate the the value of having that military pension and what it can the this the freedom and security it can give for people if as long as you have a you know a you know, a um a um a, a modest um lifestyle where you're not gonna spend more than you know I've I've always I've never been a, a spender, I've always been a saver. So um and I've never felt like I've had to deny myself anything that I that I wanted to do. So. Yeah, appreciate you getting into the the details there. I don't think that we've had very many discussions, if any, that I can remember uh, about uh, Chaired War Remainder Trust. So appreciate you getting. I mean, we could probably go several episodes deep into trust in general and how they function and, and how they work. But appreciate you kind of giving a surface level what that looks like and how it's you know utilized in your personal you know life. I want to touch on something. So you've got the pension, you've got the retirement accounts. Are you trading the retirement accounts as well? I am. Yeah. So I have three okay. accounts that I manage and one of that, that trust is a different tax ID, but the, the, the brokerage that I use, they're able to basically like have like a master account where I'm, I basically like the, as you know, the manager of that. So they can, they can roll them up into one dashboard. I see that my traditional IRA, my Roth IRA and my inherited trust you know, all side by side in my, in my trading application. So I could, I do different strategies in, in those because of, you know, that I mentioned that retirement accounts are not marginable. So like some things just don't make sense to do in those accounts. But uh, yes, I, I, I trade all three side by side. Cool. Do you have any debt? Um, I have a, I have a mortgage. I, 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 so another, you know, I think one of the questions you like to ask is stupid mistakes you've made. <laughs> stupid mistakes I make repeatedly is buying property because you know I, I generally believe that rent is a waste of money, but it's only a waste of money if you're going to stay in the property that you buy and not you know want to you know leave and you know lose money on commission if you if you don't you know hold it long enough. So I do that repeatedly. Earlier this year, you know, there I think I saw an article on the in Wall Street Journal about like, oh, well, where can you still get a five percent mortgage these days on a you know thirty year fix? They buy new construction. Because the builders are are offering, you know, Dr. Horton, you know, all those guys are offering. Um, you know, they're buying down, they're buying down rates through these. If you use their preferred lender, um, and you know, I, I bought a Dr. Horton new construction earlier this year. They paid me three thousand dollars at the closing table instead of you know you usually have to pay money at the closing costs. And so you know they and they bought the rate down to five percent and. I, it was a super. Mis- it's not the right home for, for me, but now I have this huge mortgage. <laughs> um, I'm 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 renting it out, and my the rental income more than covers all of my you know you know principal interest, uh, HOA taxes, all of that plus five hundred dollars. So I'm an accidental landlord. I, I don't I don't generally. So you bought this most- house without even moving into it. Oh no! I mean, I I've, I lived in it for a few months, and then I'm like, man, this isn't the right place for me. So that's why. So now I'm building the 400 square foot log cabin in a couple in the same area, but just I'm, okay. I'm renting out the place that I bought, and so it, I that's can't. Um, 
doesn't make sense for me to sell it right now because the builder is still selling new units at a fixed price. So I have to wait at least a year to get my money back after commissions. But until then, I'm I'm covering my bills, right? So that's the only. I mean, a mortgage debt. I don't. I and I fully take advantage of credit. You have people in your so he's like, oh, I don't believe in credit. Well, credit cards complete. I've never paid a cent of credit card interest in my entire life, and yet I fully take advantage of a two percent cash back on all your purchases. And knowing that you're getting, you know, assuming you have a 30 day billing cycle and a 25 day grace period, up to 55 days of free money. You know, why not? If you are smart and responsible, you know, I've never, like I said, I've never paid any interest in my uh, mortgage, you know, credit card interest in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this good interest, but credit card interest, of course, is bad interest. Um, I've never paid any of that, but I, yeah, of course I, I put everything on credit. Why? Why I have an immediate hit to my bank account when I can just defer it to later? You know, time value yeah. of money. It's based time value of money. So, anyways, for sure. Um, so that's more, the mortgage is the only true debt that I have. That's on my balance sheet repeatedly, which I'm gonna, you know. But this house that I'm um, I'm building, which it's only about a hundred thousand because it's four hundred square feet. But um, it's like I said, it's coming out of. I'm funding it through my the trust distribution, which is you know that's a good thing to have, but. In the future, I'm not. I'm only going to do it once and hopefully live there forever. So, we'll see gotcha. Do you keep very much cash on hand? No, pretty much zero. Just I, I have a spreadsheet. Okay, here's all the bills I'm going to have to pay every month, and all my net cash flow I, I contribute into the trust. Everything, hundred percent. I don't have any taxable accounts that I trade. So, taxable asset, I intentionally keep those close to as close to zero as possible. Interesting. And and if you don't mind, I think it's probably helpful for context for our listeners. You're single, no dependents or anything like that, correct? Yes. So I don't generally believe in, in life insurance at all. You know, single, single with a cat. Um, and I'm able to, I think I'm able to have a, be more, I guess, minimalist with my lifestyle. Like if I had like, you know, the two and a half kids and the significant other and the picket fence, I think I would be tugged into those like, okay, let's keep up with the Joneses. Let's get the, get the, you know, the, you know, the German car. Like I had a conversation with the current, the coworker about like his German car. Like I don't, I bought a, I have a drive a used Hyundai accent that I bought with a salvage title. Like I, I just don't care about material things. Maybe if I had the, you know, the kids and significant other, all these, these pressure, maybe I would, but for what it's worth, I mean, of course, there's there's probably something I'm missing out by not having, you know, <laughs> having a family because of course <laughs> there's good things that come with a family. Um, but I'm able to, you know, just you know make very um, prudent, responsible decisions about my money because I'm it's just me. So <laughs> for sure, let me let me ask, what do you splurge on, or is there anything you splurge on? Uh, probably. I guess I probably spend too much out on like prepared foods and some of that. I my 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 um yeah, my food bill is probably too high on a monthly basis, say. I guess I don't really have very much uh patience. I, I'm a good cook. I just I just I choose to like, you know, um have a succumb to temptation about eat, eating out and, you know, getting takeout or delivery or something like that. So um that's probably the the only thing really that I that I that I splurge on. So Brad, Brad can resonate with that extremely well. He loves, he's a foodie. I always get pictures from him showing all the new places he's been. <laughs> but what, 
when you live in California, I guess it's inevitable, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a favorite type of food or restaurant or anything that that's kind of uh, the go to? I really like sushi. Yeah, sushi is addictive for me. So okay, started to get like sushi every day. That's right. <laughs> probably carp from the ri- it's probably carp from the river, right? Those jumping carp. Well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know where they're getting that their fish from. Who knows? Maybe I don't want to know. But um, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Well, like you, you know that stuff, like the, the really like in you know lesser grade sushi where they have this thing called crab, where it's not really crab, it's a like crab with a K. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. No, it's a crime. <laughs> so, but that's funny. So we, we touched a little bit the fact that you feel like, you know, from a net worth standpoint, like you've won the game, like there's nothing else, you know, in terms of what you need for your lifestyle between the military pension and what you've got in, in your assets. What, what is it like for, for someone who's kind of transitioned to that from emotional and a mental state as you have that you, that you're there? Do you ever fear running out of money at all? Or, or is it, I'm there and I'm not worried about it because I can manage this for the rest of my life. I don't really fear running out of money. You know, the, I know that the the check I'm getting from my pension um right now. So so one potential fear that people have who don't have um you know uh secure healthcare is as I age are my am I going to have unexpected healthcare costs or assisted living or so so worry about the increasing cost of health, of of healthcare. That's something that I won't have to worry about either. So if I if I'm okay with with getting all my treatment at the VA, everything is completely free. It's completely free. Um, so that's that's another huge you know consideration. You know, I've 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 worked in financial planning, and one of the things that you, you worry about is you you counsel your clients to worry about is the increasing cost of healthcare. Um, do you want to do some sort of like um, you know? LTC rider on a life insurance plan or some sophisticated things to account for that. But if you have, if you have, um, uh, VA, you at least 50% VA disability and there you all your, your care to be free at the VA. Um, so that's one thing that makes me less worrisome about running out of money. So like, that's one of you, your medical bills is a big thing. It's hard for me to really foresee where I would have this, any unexpected ex- expense that would would cause me to run a money cause me to not ha- where my pension plus the trust distribution wouldn't be adequate to um cover all my bills it's hard to imagine a scenario of that i will say that when i was med- my medical retirements from the military was in 2013 and at first you feel this like sense of freedom like like oh wow you know now i don't have to work for anybody else so it's overwhelming sense of freedom but then you think it's going to make things easier but it doesn't make things easier at all because it, then it forces you to ask tough questions about what do you really want you know if you if you're not forced to work to you know bring home a paycheck what are your passions what are your interests what do you what do you really want to do with your life and so and you might still have in the back of your your head these voices that are saying oh you need to do this you need to do that so it is, it is a constant like psychological like battle, but like, you know, silencing those voices until you still need to, you know, you still need to um, achieve. And because those voices is 
as Americans are taught to to us to me at least from from early childhood. So still need to. What are you What are you worth if you aren't your job? You know, the first question people ask you is, "Oh, what do you do?" And so if unless you're confident with with where you with you know not having to say this is my job then it's yeah it can cause lots of insecurity so it's been an interesting uh it's it been interesting path for me i think yeah casey that's a really good point one of the one of the things i have a problem with with you know in in the fire community right is there's this big uh, pedestal, and I'm probably going to get blast, or Jace is probably going to get blasted after this because fire people are <laughs> super mil- militant about themselves. But you know, there's this big pedestal placed on being frugal and you know retiring early, and then there's financial independence and everything. But what happens when you get to the number, right? And you know, I listen to all the same financial podcasts. I listen to you know fire stuff. I'm on, I'm on the forums, but like you hit the number and then what, right? I think that's really what you're talking about. Like you achieved freedom and then, and then it's like, okay, well now what? Right. And so it's like, do you, there's a, there's a different talent to spending money uh, as, as there is to saving money. Right. So some people become professional savers, but then they don't really know what to do with the money they have. How do you feel about that? Like, you, you've achieved financial independence, you know, now what? How, do, how did you answer that question? Yeah. I mean, I, I do still think I have this innate, like some conscious drive to always be saving and be frugal. And I, that's something that I need to work on, you know, always, I don't need to always pinch pennies, especially if I'm giving away my, my, if I have leftover money at the month, I'm, at the end of the month, I'm giving away. I don't, need to continuously being pinched when you're comparing prices, shopping at dollar stores. There's something in me that has a sick, like obsession with always, you know, saving and trying to get the back at the absolute best price. Um, But yes, and it's, it's, you have to value yourself and your happiness enough to be willing to spend money on things that you enjoy and that make you happy. Um, And discovering that as, as you go along and, this this number that fell into my lap. It, it's not like I, even though I had this, I was always put money into my retirement accounts. That's um, you know, more than half of my net worth. It was really kind of I really kind of arrived or knew that I didn't need to worry when I when I was you know received this m- military pension, which I didn't earn at all. I didn't earn that. So it's not like something something magical. You snap your fingers and it's like um, for a for a lot of things change. They they don't. So. I don't know, and you know, maybe maybe you're always going to be moving the the needle back to, or to 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 the goalpost back to the next the milestone that also becomes anti anticlimactic. So life is more than more than a number, definitely, and it shouldn't become. It's not the end all be all. So I appreciate you sharing those thoughts. It's a it's a topic that's come up a little bit more recently, more frequently. You know, one. As Brett, as Brad mentioned, some of these super savers and and making that transition to I can you know allow myself to spend or you know do things differently than maybe I did for a long time. But then you get in a conversation, you know, fear can be powerful depending on you know where it comes from about possibly running out. And you know, I appreciate you sharing you know kind of your thoughts and and kind of emotions around those subjects. 
and I think you can, you can have a quantitative perspective on it. If you, if you need for peace of mind to say, okay, here's my budget in the worst possible scenario, do some sensitivity analysis of the absolute worst possible scenario, and you still have more than what you need on the worst rainy day. So if the numbers could give you that peace of mind to give it to you, yes, I can take this vacation. Yes, I could buy this new gadget or whatever. Then, then that could, that could be your security blanket to kind of appease appease the fear. I think. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Oh, not necessarily meal out, but I ordered um, Maine lobsters delivered to me, and when okay. I was living in North Dakota, so. Yeah, I, being a New England girl, I missed my main lobbers. They arrived live and it, in a freezer pack, and it was it was, it was a couple, you know, it was like hundred bucks. I was like that, so but it was good. <laughs> hey, it's better than the lobster I had one time, where my wife and I were trying to have a special Valentine's dinner, and we didn't have that much money, and bought them in the grocery store, and they're terrible, and we ended up ordering pizza. It's a terrible story, but at any rate, glad your they're lobster probably from was Nova good. Scotia if they're in the grocery store, and they're not, no, 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 not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, it, it's it, it's a thought that counts, Jace. It's a thought that counts. You ordered your ordered rotten lobster for your, you know. Anytime I hear lobster, that's exactly what comes to my mind, and my wife and I joke about it now. But at, at any rate, we we uh we settled for you know five. I think back then it was a five dollar pizza. What is the most expensive trip or vacation that you've been on? Oh, I just decided for once to take a, a cruise. I think it was like. Taking a cruise by yourself is twice as expensive, so it was it was I don't know eight hundred dollars something like that. So I'm never gonna do it again. I didn't have fun. So, but. <laughs> okay. oh, but no, I also went to Thailand, and that was you know airfare to and from Thailand. That was a thousand bucks, but yeah, those are probably the two. Yeah, once you get trips. to Thailand, it's pretty pretty inexpensive. But, but. I was on a a budget tour, so yeah, okay. it was yeah. I mean things. It's, Low cost of living there, but you, yeah, you could spend a lot of money. But what my expense sure. was, I got there. It was only the airfare really that was expensive. So, yep, yep. Uh, what's the most expensive piece of clothing, whether it's pants, shirt, shoes that you've purchased? Jewelry, <laughs> anything. I buy things like from like ThreadUp, the like online consignment stores, or like used Walmart or cheap Walmart stuff. So, jeez. Oh, um, I mean, I can't even. In recent years, I just, I just don't, I just don't do that at all. I mean, decades ago, I used to do like J Crew. I used to actually pay full price for things. I just <laughs> don't see the need to do that anymore. So, okay, what is the most fun that you've had with money? This may sound silly, but I, I really have fun with with uh, with with having you know trading wins. I, I, I don't know that that's not really using my money, but it's it's I don't know if that. It, does that address your question? Like, I really, I love trading. I love saying, is that, is that not what you're, where you were getting at? Oh yeah. Whatever, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So whatever like, if I see, most like, fun you've had. Like, you know, if I have tons of fun with that, it might sound uh, a little bit sad, but yeah, I, I, I love, I think I found my, you know, if I ever, you know, I'm, I pl- I'm planning on at some point going back to work. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that whatever I do, still gives me time to trade on a daily basis, you know, some sort of shift work or whatever that continue trading that because that's, that's always going to be my love, I think. So (laughs) nice. What is the craziest thing that you've ever done to earn money? 
crazy thing to earn money? Yeah, you'd be like, surprised. Just wait till some of the new episodes come out and what what you, what you hear the people have done there in some money. <laughs> okay. This is so this is I was I was employed as something where it was like a, my employer say and you employer tells you to do something and you're like are you serious? You really want me to do that? So this was when Yellow Pages were a thing. So it was a Yellow Page ad company and we as a temp I had to they said, okay, you're going to need an exacto knife and a glue stick. And I'm like, what the? I said, each individual ad on the yellow pages, you need to, and it's both sides of the page. You need to cut it out and glue stick it onto each own separate page. And you go through multiple phone books because, again, you got to do both sides. So that was something was, are you really paying me to do that? And is there a better way to do that? So I define that as crazy. Um, so. <laughs> I love this question. It's getting some good answers. This is great. <laughs> What's a closely held belief that you've changed your mind on recently? Oh, geez. I tend to be very binary, like good or bad, black or white. Either you, you, you agree with everything or you agree with nothing about someone. I've started to become more flexible. I think living in East Tennessee here where there are just different types of People, I mean, I grew up a completely different culture in New England, and maybe it's okay if someone doesn't share something that you 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 hold closely as as a strong principle. Maybe you can still get along with them and <laughs> be friends with them, and so and not agree with everything. So I've started to maybe become a bit more flexible in um, as I age, I guess. Okay. What's a key lesson that you learned from childhood? I mean, this may sound trite, but um, I've, through my childhood, I, I strongly valued um, education, independence, and hard work. Those are values that were instilled in me from a very early age. And oh, I guess critical thinking, questioning everything, like in not always having your parents be there. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I see parents these days and I, what I interpret as being way too involved in their kids' life where they're not helping their kids. So I, for better or for worse, I didn't have that. So, you know, critical thinking, questioning everything, doing things yourself, uh, figuring out things in yourself. I think those have served me well throughout my life from childhood. Awesome. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out on their journey? I mean, again, it's a textbook answer, but the, I mean, the power of compounding, just putting as much as you can into investments from a very early age and uh, just have it be, if you don't have time to, to, to pay attention to it, do some sort of autopilot, like, you know, one and done fund that, you know, with a low expense ratio that covers the entire market. So that if you, if you, if you, um, and of course your tax, um, tax advantage investments do that, do that first and max those out. Never, never um, uh, turn down an employer match. You know, basic things like like that. That um, um, and don't and you know, pay down any bad interest. Um, those, but those are basic financial lessons that I mean, some people might not learn, but I think they're um, to to you know to you or I, they might seem um, second nature. Awesome. That's Casey with a net worth of five million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Okay. Um, thank you, Jason. Brad. 
Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.